follow the evidence wherever it leads and question everything. Accept these terms and the cosmos is yours. Now, come with me. It's a heavy morning read. Yeah, I was about to ask you. Is yeah, it, 6.30 do, in the morning is a tough time. Do you enjoy time. reading that? I actually do. What I, so I, it's full I, of rich history I is what you're before, supposed to say. Um, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry yeah. by Neil deGrasse Tyson. And that was good because okay. it's very like colloquial, but it just goes over like big physics topics. All and right. it's like an easy read. And so I was like, I really like that. I'm going to get another physics book because I really liked the first one. And now I'm reading it and I'm getting absolutely mind fucked every single morning for 30 minutes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you got a degree in economics. Correct. Okay. And yeah. now you're into physics and such. I, dude, I watch YouTube videos about space and physics all the time. That's fun. That's I mean, like how I spend a lot of my day in history. Everyone has their interests. But like geologic history, like like way back, not like the history. Like of... the dinos. Correct. Cool. Or before. Ooh. Amoebas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know a lot about the Pleistocene Epoch because of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy about that for you. Um, your mornings sound riveting. Well, they're especially riveting when I have Premier League football to watch. Yeah, uh, those are the best weekends. I don't know where you're going to start the intro with that one. E- no, everyone is going to listen to the us whole thing? talk about physics, yes. Okay, deal. Um, well, this is a soccer podcast. Yeah, in case you thought you pressed the wrong button um, <laughs> while starting the podcast, I just want to you know, thank you in advance just for pressing the button to start our podcast. Yeah, and That's not huge. only for hanging it, if you made it this yeah. far. <laughs> thank you. The, the list. Now a word from our sponsors. <laughs> The listener statistics, like how far they make it into the episode. Yeah. Five seconds. Five seconds. They all just drops <laughs> off. Well, I was thinking the, like, what was the old, uh, like, PBS show thing that's like, we are possible because of donor generous, like, viewers like you. Viewers Thank like you. Thank you. <laughs> that's what I'm picturing. Um, yeah. As a five-year-old me sits there like, okay. <laughs> You're yeah, welcome. <laughs> I, did I did this. Uh, but Brent, we are a Premier League podcast, and there were Premier League games this past weekend, which we are always psyched about. Not me. No? Actually, no. You uh, literally just went over. I'm psyched to the max <laughs> about it, Jake. Uh, yeah, I, I think the biggest headline for me this weekend, Jake, personally, is how under the radar Liverpool have gone into a quick second place in the Premier League. They currently are at 16 points. Two behind Man City only because they have one draw. They still haven't lost. They have a 10-goal differential, which is the same as Brighton, sure. who's sitting third. But it feels like for all the uh, the slander that goes Liverpool's way about like Darwin Nunez, mm-hmm. the uh, you know ups and downs of their midfield, their defense being shaky, like Van Dyke, you know, having some issues to start the season. Last year was bad. The year before wasn't awesome. They kind of seem to be bad. And I don't really like saying that, but it's true. I don't like hearing it. Um, He's back. But, <laughs> but yeah, the the Liverpool squad, you know, is is taking shape. Obviously, we we mentioned this before. They're they're gonna regret that draw against Chelsea. Yeah, uh, a really bad looking Chelsea team. Yeah. But you know, Van Dyke um, got that red card early on in the season. Was out for four games because of the additional game suspension from whatever he said to the ref 
So it, right. it looked like that they were just going to be stumbling through the first part of this season and kind of have a, a bad start as they did last year. But, uh, you know, they have only had that one hiccup against Chelsea, which, you know, if, if you don't factor in um, Chelsea's results since then, it's like, oh, you know, a draw against Chelsea is the only points you've dropped so far this season. That's not bad. And away from home, too. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, you know, obviously they think they should have yeah. gotten a win there and should be perfect along with Man City. But with, uh, you know, Spurs and Arsenal drawing on the weekend and no one else really looking like that they're going to challenge, are Liverpool the only title contenders alongside City this year? Well, outside of Brighton, of course, and Tottenham. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I just ruled out Tottenham. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Uh, I was just thinking of the top four in the table right now. No, I think it, it's certainly shaping up that way, especially with how some of the other teams have started. I think when I look at Liverpool, I think a lot of their success this year is down to kind of a resurgence of Mohamed Salah, but not as a goal scorer, as a provider. He's got four assists and three goals on the season, whereas previously he'd probably be sitting at this stage of the campaign with like six goals and one assist or two assists. And he seems to be more willing to facilitate, and I think that evolution is helping Liverpool this year as he's taken a little bit more of a step into the creativity side and letting some of those other players score because their highest goal scorer, keep in mind, like, Holland's already at eight. Darwin Nunez has three. Salah has three. Luis Diaz has two. Like, it's not like they've got a solid number nine Mm -hmm. that is just bagging in goals. It seems like... Their attack is more free-flowing than it ever has been, but also it's probably a product of a lot of the rotation that they're doing. Yeah, and you know they brought in a good amount of attacking players, whether that's from the midfield or um, up top. So I, I think that they have that ability to rotate, and that's why you don't see one like standout goal scorer because you know to begin the season it was Gakpo up there um, in attack, and he was you know leading the line and now he's kind of lost his place a little bit with Jota and Nunez getting some rotation in there and you know the the production from the creativity side you know we we've seen Salah increase his assist numbers in the past three seasons that's that's no surprise (laughs) um he you know formerly was known as a a prolific goal scorer which he was he he set he still is he set the Premier League uh, single season goal record for uh, a 38 game season before Holland broke it uh, five or six years later. But now he's, uh, you know, has a lot of weapons around him and he has become a provider, which I think is great for Liverpool. The dynamic ability of Salah to uh, turn on that um, assist giver uh, quality when, you know, maybe. He's, he, he still is that goal scorer, like you mentioned, and, and can be deadly in front of net. But to uh, you know, be a dual threat like he is now, it just elevates the entire squad. And uh, I, I think you know, that and the rotation of the rest of the forwards is the reason why you don't see someone with more than three goals in the Premier League. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you. I think where I was concerned for Liverpool at the start of the season was I was afraid they were going to be cut open, you know, picked apart like Swiss cheese. You know, a lot of holes in that midfield because they lost Fabinho and they didn't really have a replacement for him. But this Trent stepping into midfielder and being a second holding midfielder, I think, is showing, at least it's proving to work. It's showing that Klopp at least had a plan for that. You know, everybody else didn't necessarily think it was going to 
be fine. Right, but is, is he's he's not starting there. Correct. He's he's doing the the very uh, the fashionable fashionable. Thank you. The yeah. fashionable formation of having inverted fullbacks. Your fullbacks going in the midfield. Correct. But what I've noticed is in transition, where a lot of fullbacks in that position retreat back yeah. to their spot, he is still allowed to press the ball before falling back. And I think that's the difference in the current system because he's not a great defender and it's almost leaving them less exposed on his flank because he's allowed to press in midfield. And if he misses it, there's another player rather than him being one-on-one at all times against a team's left winger, which is usually one of the best players on the field. Yeah, and I think um, the difference between Liverpool's way of going about having Trent go into midfield and you look at Spurs or Man City um, and Arsenal, who have those yeah. the same qualities. Even United are putting Dallow in there. Yeah, and Dallow looked great today, um, yeah. getting those inv- advanced positions yeah. also. But today the, being Tuesday, Carabao the, Cup. <laughs> yeah. The difference um, is that Robertson or uh, Simicast, whoever is playing on that left side, isn't going into the middle as much. Yeah. You still see them from time to time. But it, uh, when Trent goes forward into the midfield – you see them kind of shift, so that back three sort of yeah. system where you have Van Dyke and Kanate kind of shifting over to the right, covering the area left behind by Trent. So uh, obviously they don't have a lot of clean sheets this season, um, and you know you can attribute that to slow starts, which is when they give up most of their goals. But I think also part of that is that um, they are slightly exposed um, on that side when Trent goes into the middle, but you know. They're, they're still learning the system a little bit because as of you know the second half of last season, they hadn't been doing that as much, and they're not really used to it. So I think they're just only going to get better um, seeing Trent go more into the midfield. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you. I think it's definitely a, a role that he flourishes in. And then on top of that, you know, I think the McAllister, Alexis McAllister experiment is going to work out with Subutzlai as the two free eights. I think that will end up working. Mm-hmm. I still think they do need a true defensive midfielder at some point. They don't even have to be like a Casemiro. Right. They just have to be more defensive. Like, I think somebody like Amrabat would have been awesome. And when you say someone like Casemiro, do you mean someone that um, leads their team in scoring? Like someone that provides (laughs) all the goals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Somebody that is leading, yeah, the the team in scoring from the six. No, I mean more somebody that is, like, renowned for – Casemiro isn't known for his ball-playing ability. Like, when he was in Real's team, he didn't have to do any of that. He just got the ball and would pass it to Modric and Cruz and let them create. He's kind of a cleanup guy. Exactly. And – United are asking him to be more than that, which is clearly working because he's a very good player. But I think Liverpool would really benefit from like a true physical like cleanup man, to your point. And I don't think they have that, which is, I think, what you're saying. Yeah. Because they have two players who are kind of just, you know, they're free eights. Sorry, they're filling the gap for that right now in Endo and Gravenberg. And I've only seen one game of Gravenberg at Liverpool. Obviously, I'd seen him previously in his limited time at uh, Bayern. And then uh, before that, Ajax. But he, so far, doesn't look like he's fitting in as well as they yeah. hoped. And I think that you are correct in pointing out that that is their weak spot. They, they need a true six. Endo is doing fine when he comes in. But he's you know not at the level of a top you know two uh, Premier sure. League side. I moment. actually, my hot take is I think Fred would have been really good in Liverpool's oh, team. Oh, I... I <laughs> a full Gagan pressing team where all that you need is energy to go for it, and then if you're yeah. the cleanup man, you just go tackle and pass. Like 
I think Fred would have been a really good signing for Liverpool. I, Not right now. But I have then. given a lot of grief to Fred. Yeah, everybody has. Um, but I, I do agree where I, I think if you're only asking him to do those yeah. two things, that he would have done fantastic. A really, under Klopp specifically, yeah. who's like all about energy, running. Obviously, it didn't work out that way, and he was between City and United. Plus, but. Liverpool and United, they don't really... There's not a lot of crossover between players. Correct. Um, because of the rivalry. Occasionally, Michael Owen. Name another. I probably could if I thought about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying not often. Not a lot. Yeah. You know, it's not like um, United and Leicester or <laughs> Arsenal and Brighton. Right. <laughs> yeah, of course, those huge Manchester United-Leicester transfers of... Uh, Leicester and Chelsea, you know. Yeah, I, all, Southampton and anyone. And Spurs, yeah. <laughs> Anybody. <laughs> uh, no, I tend to agree with you. So we'll... We'll see if Liverpool can keep up their form, if they can keep scoring. I, I mean, frankly, I like their depth for how many matches they have coming up, but they have a tough run. They have Spurs away, Brighton away, Everton home, which I know Everton aren't amazing, but it is a, a rivalry. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a derby. And then they have Forrest and Luton after that, so those should be easier results. But um, But the next three, I feel like, will be the telltale signs of if they can keep this up, because that's the two below them in the table. Back to back, yeah, and uh, I, th- I think you know, just from my perspective, Spurs away is going to be very tough. Where the fans have just started to get behind Spurs yeah. again, it, um, it would be total Spurs to lose like five nil though. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> and well, just not because like we're going our hopes up, and like this would be the perfect time right. to lose five nil. It's because it's Liverpool. Right. And just the last four years, I think we've gotten one point. Oh, off it's of been tough for Spurs in recent matches. And uh, it's just, no, no matter what form Liverpool are in, they're going to get a result against Spurs. That's just kind of a given. It's kind of how it works, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, because of how bad Liverpool have been at some stretches of the past. Um, so I, I, I think that that will be a good sign of where one Liverpool are if they're really contenders if they can go away to someone who is in good form and is coming off a high of a last minute winner and then uh, a draw at their biggest rival so I I think if Liverpool can go into Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and get three points then we start talking for reals about them challenging City but you know there's also until then there's a there's a second narrative where they they go and you know someone makes an error they have a slow start as they have notoriously they do do that. Yeah. had and uh, they they lose to Spurs and then you know the narrative becomes you know are Spurs for real under Postecoglou but that's for another podcast. Well, you're already talking about Spurs, Jake. There's another really big match in the Premier League this past weekend. It was the North London Derby, which was a thrilling two-two draw. It was. Um, Unfortunately, the the second goals for each team came in like the fifty second and fifty third yeah. minute or whatever. Back to back. Um, so the last thirty five to forty minutes, um, didn't see any goals, which is when you know the neutral is like, oh, that's the most exciting time to score is near the end. Obviously, right. Jude Bellingham o- just said he'd rather always score at the end of a game. There you go. Yeah, proving my point. Other than that, yes, it was a thrilling game. If, if those four goals all came from the 60th minute on, then it's like a classic. Like that's sure. like an yeah. instant classic. Yeah. Um, but just 2-2 on its own in the Premier League um, against 
fierce rifles. You know, that is a great fixture. And obviously, myself being a Spurs fan, I enjoyed going away to the Emirates and getting, yeah, a, point, getting a point somewhere that we struggle, you know, historically. Historically, yeah. uh, we've gotten one win in the last uh, one win since the Emirates, one win in the Premier League since the Emirates became a thing. Wow. Um, which is bad. So going there and getting a point was huge. And you don't know the stats from Highbury? No. Um, I, <laughs> I know that uh, Sun was the only person to score two goals at the Emirates on right. Spurs. No, but I'm talking about their old stadium. Right, I'm Highbury saying at the Emirates. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So uh, like, we've, like someone has scored two goals away at Arsenal right, before, right. but it was like 50 years ago. Yeah. There was some controversy. I just want to ask Jake. As a Spurs fan, do you think it was a penalty, given the precedent that was set in the Manchester United game? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> those are two different questions, I think. Um, do I think it's a penalty? Yes. yes. Do I think it's a penalty given the precedent? No. Right. Um, but, you know, that's just how it is in the Premier League. There's no consistency. There is not. On the handball rule yeah. specifically. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, uh, point blank range that the ball being deflected off of James Madison going yep. in for a tackle and going off the hand of a diving like a, a sprawled defender yep. it's tough but his hand I mean uh, I go back and forth because it's like where else are you going to put your hand when you're making that sort right. of movement but if it was at the other end and it was Ben White's hand I would have been on my feet screaming right. at the television. Yeah. So I, I think I have to say, yes, that is a penalty 100%. So do you think the United one was then? I I do. Okay. And I think, I don't know. For those that don't know, Garnacho had a shot. Romero went to go block it, and his hand kind of is away from his body up, hits his hand. Right. In, in, in that Very scenario, similar. his hand's even further away. Yeah. And I think you mentioned this when it happened is the proximity to goal. Yeah. The fact that Romero's was, you know, six inches from the goal Weren't they both Romero? Line. They were both Romero. Yeah. yeah. You said Romero's was six inches from the goal. They're both Romero. Oh, sorry. Um, against Arsenal Arsenal's was, was six yeah. inches from the goal line. And against United was six inches from the 18-yard box. Um, yeah. It's just tough. It's tough. What, here's a radical idea. There's just one VAR referee. There's just one. I, I could at least get behind that. Like, because at least it's going to be consistent by one person, presumably. Like, like rather than this rotating of all the referees, like, sure. have their time being the VAR referee, where they can all have their own opinions, just one referee. Or just get rid of it. Not going to happen for the get rid of it part. Yeah. But I think what we what we should have in place, and what you mentioned, is is one referee for the VAR student. Like, what? Is it a studio? What do they call it? I don't know. What Wherever they're, they're yeah. in with all the monitors. But it's not like there are so many that happen at the exact same time. Well, that's like what I'm they, saying. Yeah. And then you have a deputy um, VAR official yeah. who only steps in if that main VAR official is reviewing one game and there's right. a penalty or whatever situation in another game at the exact same time. But then they're all on the same page. Right. They're all the same people every single every week. time. They <laughs> make the same calls and presumably, presumably, yeah. And there's consistency. And then when they do flip on their opinion, it's like, you set a precedent. We know what right. you think. on. Like It's not like, well, one ref did one thing, one did another. There's a precedent set, but everybody's confused. What does one ref see as intentional? One doesn't. What's away from them? But what is, like, it's just one person that has their opinion on it, which I realize I understand 
that's a lot of power for one person. But there has to be a referee or, like, an ex-referee who's been in the game a long time or an ex-player that, like, you bring in as, like, the VAR official. And I feel like that would help solve some of the problems. I'm sure there'd be flaws in it, but... The flaw, um, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, is that they send it back to the referee on the field. Correct. So then there is going to be discrepancies and um, non-consistencies in that matter because the field referee is going to be different every single time. Sure, but that I'm more okay with than the VAR referees changing, like, what should be reviewed for handball, what shouldn't. If the decision stays with the on-field referee the whole time, because we get the VAR audios now. They release them sometimes. You're like, hey, like, the the hands away. You're going to want to go take a look at the monitor. If you say that, you are intrinsically leading the on-field referee to think this hands, like, the the hands away. Like, like... Sure. It's, you know, you know, slightly well, a confirmation bias. Sort exactly. Of thing. And I get what you're saying where the, the VAR, VAR referee has an impact on the on-field referees, you know, way of viewing things because, you know, if they bring them to the monitor, right. I, I don't know what the statistics are exactly, but it's got to be, like it's got, always, it's got to be north yeah. than 90%. I imagine. Um, of the, the call being changed. If the VAR referee sends the on-field referee to the monitor, um, and Brent, we could sit here all day talk about refereeing decisions. Yeah. And, and let's. And, <laughs> and let's. Um, sit Tune down. in. <laughs> 24 hours starts right now. Um, but Brent, assuming that the VAR referee checks every single goal to make sure that there's not a handball or offside leading up or foul yeah. leading up to a goal, the VAR referee was called in. Um, to play eight times for eight different goal scorers during the Newcastle match. Yeah, that was pretty. The first time ever in Premier League history that there were eight different goal scorers in one match as Newcastle dismantled Sheffield and doubled their goal tally on the year in one match, which is crazy to think about. I mean, we've seen recent results like this. We had the Manchester United 9-2 against Southampton or so a few years ago. Do you remember that? We also had the Liverpool-Aston Villa. That was like, was it 9-0? 9-0 against Southampton. And then Liverpool and Villa was like 7, that's why 7-2 Villa, I right. think is what I'm thinking. And then 7-0 Liverpool over Man United. Yeah. Um, Leicester 9-0 over Southampton. These are just happening like too often now. Uh, and then Liverpool 9-0 over ooh, one of the relegated teams. Yep. Anyways. Uh, yeah. Um, no, it wasn't. It was uh, Bournemouth. And then they... Oh, you're right. And then they renewed the contract of uh, Cooper. Right. Cooper? No. No, Forrest. That's Forrest. No. Um, O'Neill? Gary O'Neill? I don't Maybe. know. I think Either way, there's been a lot of these <laughs> wacky results recently, and Newcastle just did another one. And it is worth noting because they did make Premier League history, but more importantly, Jake, they seem to be recovering from their slow start. They now have two wins on the trot. Granted, it's it's Brentford and Sheffield, you know, with a loss to Brighton in the way, mm-hmm. but they seem to be recovering some form. You know, their three wins and three losses on the season. Their three losses are to Brighton, Liverpool, and Man City. If you look at the table, those are the top three teams right now. So maybe they're not in as much of a crisis as you'd think. Like, yeah. in a perfect world, they'd want to get better results from those matches, considering that's where they want to be. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, like, just perspective, you know? Like, sure. those aren't bad losses, all things considered. And they're taking care of business where they should. If they turn a few of those results in draws, they're right where they should be. So are they on the up and up? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, my prediction a few episodes back about Newcastle and West Ham switching positions from 4 to 14th, yeah. um, you know, is, is well on its way. It's happening. Yeah, it, they're only a point behind it. It's happening! <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think Newcastle are getting closer to where they should be. They're definitely not the team that the fans thought they were going to be this year, like contending for a title. Right. Um, and I know that there are a few out there holding on hope because, you know, they're not actually that far off you from know, where they it's were early days. last season. It's early days, Jake. Early days. Um, and just some internal fact-checking, um, just so the, the listener knows, you know, that we like to be accurate. Sure. The the 9-0 against Bournemouth that Liverpool had yeah. led to Scott Parker getting sacked that same day and then Gary O'Neill coming in. Gotcha. So I knew Gary O'Neill was involved. Was a part of it. And then uh, the whole... Uh, uh, Cooper thing was an entirely different thing. Yeah, where, that was where where they had some bad losses. And yeah, then, we thought he was going to get sacked, and, and then they, they were they, they renewed extended him. his contract, yeah. or whatever. Um, but yeah, Newcastle. You know, obviously it's it's Sheffield, but it's Sheffield away, lads, a team that has it's Sheffield. <laughs> lads, it's Sheffield. It's not Tottenham. It's Sheffield. I know. <laughs> um, a, a team that likes to have a low block, so you think it yeah unlikely that they can concede eight goals, which I only watched up until the first three goals are scored. So I, I can't speak to if they kind of just opened up a little bit, knowing that they gave up so many already, and then that's why they let so many through. But I would be shocked if, if I watched the entire game back and Sheffield kept a low block for 90 minutes and conceded eight. That just seems improbable. Yeah. So I have to imagine that they opened up a little bit after a couple goals went in, and that's how the floodgates got opened. Um, but yeah, Newcastle... Show that they can score. We we've known them for their defense primarily yeah. last season. Well, keeping, a lot of their defenders scored. <laughs> yeah, keeping four. Sorry, uh, only losing four matches and keeping yeah. however many clean sheets yeah. to make Pope, I think, the second or third. Yeah, um, in the I Golden think, Glove race. I want to say it was like 13, 12? clean sheets. Yeah. Oh, I I couldn't give you a number. Um, well, because De Gea had sixteen. Did De Gea win last season? Yeah. And then they just send him on his way. Correct. That's part of the controversy around De Gea this year. Um, but while you're looking that up, I'll keep going, Jake, and just say that where where I do have concern for Newcastle is, yes, they took care of business this past weekend, but I'm still worried about their squad depth and the Champions League fixtures that they're adding to their schedule this year that they didn't have last year. Yeah. I think that level of rotation is going to be a little bit of an issue for them, or the need for rotation is going to be a little bit of an issue for them, uh, especially with St. Maximin leaving. So you lose another one of those winger rotations. And, it's just and they brought in Harvey Barnes, who came off injured after seventeen right. minutes. Which case in point, like they they need. I think they still need some time to become a true contender. I mean, look at Man City when they got taken over, they had a few really good years, but it still took them like five years to really hit the ground, like running, running. They won a league in that time over Manchester United on the Aguero yep. moment. I'm but, familiar. <laughs> but it took them time to really find their footing. I think Newcastle will be the same. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about this way, way, way back when, when the takeover first happened. And we're like, yeah, like they're going to get better. But that takes time. Yeah. And then they got better like right away, which was surprising. And then we're like, they're not going to be this good for that long. And they continue to be and good. And they were. <laughs> and they were until the first three games of the season right. where they looked like they were going to 
maybe four games, whatever the, like Liv- the Liverpool game yeah. was. And I, I think they're kind of in this purgatory where it's like they have the good players coming in mm-hmm. and they still have that high of knowing that they're on the upward trajectory. Yep. It is going to be all about those um, Champions League games and how they're going to manage their squad depth. Yeah. Brent, for the second time in this episode, we're going to do some internal... I bet I got it wrong. 13. Oh, I got it right. 13 clean sheets. You did get De Gea one off. 17. 17. Allison in the middle. I'm pretty proud of myself for that. Allison in the middle of 14. Gotcha. So we were both pretty accurate. You were like almost bang on for for both of them. Yeah. And uh, I think I said he got second or third, and he got third. Um, Who says we don't know ball? Kids we know on ball. TikTok. TikTok. That's uh, the, what, we're not on it anymore. Well, we uh, are technically on it, but we're not on it. You know, we could be. We could be. Let's let's do a fan poll right now, live. live. Should we get back on TikTok? <laughs> we we have one hundred and forty eight thousand followers just begging for us to make more content. Yeah, they actually just message me personally each day. They're like, "When are you getting back really? on TikTok?" You know? Do yeah. they not say anything mean? Because they often said mean things on our posts. So. That's just about you, actually. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. I actually gave out my my personal mobile phone number. <laughs> really? Yeah. And nothing. No, they they text me every day positive things. Oh. And they say Brent sucks. That doesn't sound like a positive yeah, thing. That Alaskan guy hate him. How do they know that's where I'm from? I told them. Jake, you've <laughs> got to stop giving. Did you give him my social security number? One two as three well? Sportsman Drive. Ah, <laughs> uh, close. <laughs> you got the street right. Well, I wasn't gonna give your actual yeah. address. Nine one one. Oh, uh, that's your phone number. (laughs) (laughs) Call it right now. Right now. And tell them it's an emergency. (laughs) There's a fire. Sale. Sale. (laughs) Hey, uh, do you want to try that again? Nope. (laughs) Nope. And scene. Um, This has been Tobias Funke. 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 You know it better than I do. Yeah. I thought it was Tobias Funke. Funke. Funke I thought it was an extra slabble. I think it's Funke. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who haven't seen Arrested Development. Uh, a, a non-blue. I'm a never nude. <laughs> a never- just like him. Wear your jorts. Give me. <laughs> the, these are my jorts. You can't see them because I always wear them underneath my pajamas. And that is the perfect attire for a podcaster who claims to be part of the Premier League podcast with the coziest dress code. The dress code is jorts. jorts. <laughs> Under your jammies. <laughs> Under your jammies. We'll see you next time. in the group yet. No, I'm afraid I just blew myself. There's got to be a better way to say that.